The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Good morning, church family. Welcome to our second service today. I want to start by simply saying our words hold incredible power. Uh, Their ability to influence, to impact, and to make a difference are incredibly profound. But how many of you have ever experienced the negative impact of someone else's words? You've you've experienced the negative impact of someone else saying something or accusing you of something. I think most of us have been there before. Uh, As I've mentioned in the past, I'm the uh, eldest of seven children. And and I remember actually quite distinctly the very first time my mother ever left us at home alone by ourselves while she went out and uh, ran errands and things like that. I I was about nine years old at the time, and as she was heading out the door, she looked at me and she said, now, I'm just going to be gone a few moments, make sure everybody stays safe, make sure everybody behaves, I'll I'll be right back. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm not quite sure how it happened. I'm not even quite sure why it happened. But literally the moment my mom left the house and the door closed, something inside of me just, it just switched. Man, in that moment, I don't know how it happened. I turned into some sort of nine-year-old totalitarian communist dictator, you know? I turned around at my siblings and I said, mom's gone, I'm in charge, you got to do whatever I say. And that was, that was it. Now, of course, being the oldest of several siblings, there were uh, uh, one of my siblings in particular uh, who wasn't real keen on going along with this brand new uh, regime that I was setting up uh, in our home. And, and so he looked at me and he said in his, you know, in, in an eloquence that only a six-year-old could say, he said, you're not the boss of me, <laughs> you know? I'm looking at him. I'm like, no, mom put me in charge. You have to do whatever I say. And then in, at that moment, he, he, he like spewed out the most evil, nasty, horrible cuss word that his little six-year-old mind could come up with. He looked me in the eyes and he said, you dummy. <laughs> well, you got to understand Um, We grew up in a very traditional conservative Christian household and uh, use of that type of profanity was just not allowed And so I said, what did you call me? He said, you heard me. You're a dummy I said, man, I ran over to him I literally grabbed him by the head began to pull his hair, you know I'm just thinking to myself, man, we're not gonna we're not gonna have any of this now Now mind you literally at this point my mom hasn't even pulled out of the driveway to leave yet And this is already where we're at, you know, I mean, it's just going defcon 5 like absolutely immediately I'm in full-fledged Mussolini mode, you know four minutes after my mom leaves I've got him by the head I'm dragging him, you know through the living room across the room and I'm trying to tell him hey when I'm in charge we're not going to use this type of language in my house I get him to the bathroom and I said to him if you're going to use that type of dirty language around me then you leave me no choice than to wash your mouth out with soap and you better believe it I went for it I pinned him down I grabbed a bar of soap and I'm trying to you know push this thing into his head you know he's squirming all around I get it into his mouth you know finally he squirms away runs to his room locks the door you know he was just he wanted nothing to do with it you know and uh, a few minutes later my mom gets home of course he ran over told on me of what I had done And, and to make a long story short we'll just say that my mother wasn't quite as impressed with my leadership methodologies at that period in time 
you know? Uh, the truth is, man, that was my way of kind of going about trying to change how he taught. And uh, in this passage, we're going to see where our Heavenly Father is trying to encourage us to change the way we talk as well, the conversation that we use. But how many of you are thankful uh, that our Heavenly Father is a little bit more gracious about how he goes about changing our communication style? And that's, that's really what's taking place here in this passage today. You see, the truth is it's easy for the majority of us uh, to have conversations to be made up of of negativity and our our conversations are made up of complaining and and gossip. Uh, However, God wants our conversations to be much more healthy and much more life-giving. We're currently in a series entitled Metamorphosis where we are going verse by verse through the book of Colossians. And in Colossians chapter number one and two, we really discovered about, you know, how we're rooted in Christ and what that means for us as believers. And, and now in this series, in chapters number three and chapters number four, we're seeing how those of us who are rooted in Christ, how that manifests itself in our practical everyday lives. And so over the last few weeks, we've seen really how being rooted in Christ, how it affects our lifestyle, how it affects our relationships, how it affects our families and our careers, and today we're going to see how it even affects our speech, how, how God wants the gospel and the Spirit of God working through it to, to change the way we talk and, and change the way we communicate toward those around us. So as we're getting ready to dive in, we're going to be in Colossians chapter number four. If you are a guest with us today, you should have received a welcome guide on your way in. At some point during the service, if you take the opportunity to fill out that connection card, uh, we'd love to have a record of your attendance as well as have the opportunity to send you some more information about the church in the upcoming days. Uh, For the rest of you, you should have received one of the service guides inside. There is an outline that you can use to follow along through the Bible study here this morning. As we look at this subject of transforming our speech or transforming our words and conversations. Uh, Colossians chapter number four, for those of you who are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand as we read from our text today. Colossians chapter number four, I'll begin in verse number two and read down through verse number six. The word of God says in Colossians chapter four, beginning in verse number two, it says, continue in prayer. And watch in the same with thanksgiving, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Notice that phrase in verse 6, let your speech be always with grace. If I were to put this passage concisely, basically what the Apostle Paul is saying, he's saying saying pray. He says, and while you're praying, he says, pray that that I'll be able to, to speak the gospel. And I want you to know that I'm praying for you too. And I'm, essentially I'm praying that your words would be gracious and kind so you'll be able to effectively share the gospel as well. So our theme for the Bible study this morning is simply this. Regularly speaking to God dramatically influences how we speak to others. 
Let me say that one more time. Regularly speaking to God in prayer dramatically influences how we speak to others. I want to share with you five spiritual disciplines that I believe will help us to improve our conversation and how we speak with those around us. All right, so we're going to dive in. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into our study this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for speaking over us life through your word. Thank you for speaking your promises and your truth and your grace into our lives through the scriptures every single day. Lord, thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit that reinforces that which you are speaking over us. And and I pray that as we saturate our hearts and our minds and our emotions and all all the grace that you're speaking into our lives, I pray that it will overflow through our lips and through our words into the lives of others, that, Lord, our words and our conversation and our speech would be influenced by the grace that you've made available to us. I pray that you'd bless our time in your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, and you may be seated. Let's dive right into our Bible study. Notice the first three words of verse number two. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, continue in prayer. He says, continue in prayer, which leads us to the first discipline that will help us to improve how we talk, and that is simply this. If we want to improve the quality of our speech, if we want to improve how we talk to those around us, number one, I want to encourage us to persevere in prayer, to persevere in prayer. The Bible tells us that the reason we have not is because we ask not. And and I want to encourage you to ask God. Say, God, I'm asking that you would improve the way I talk. God, would you change the way I have conversations? Would you change the quality of my words toward those all around me? And begin to pray. Say, God, change the words that flow from my mouth. This is exactly what King David did in Psalm chapter number 19. He, he prays to the heavenly father and he says this. He says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. E- even King David is praying, God, I ask that your spirit and your power would control the words of my mouth, the conversations that I have, the things that flow from my lips. And he's praying and he's asking God to influence even the way he speaks. I don't know for me, maybe I, I'm a little bit weird, but there are certain things I can find a little bit humorous and funny. But how many of you have ever noticed that it seems like that every time you're with a big group of people and you're about to, you know, pray and eat the food, how many of you have been in a situation there's a large group and somebody, somebody's trying to get everybody's attention to pray? You always have that one person who's, who's like still talking even after the prayer has already began. You know, somebody's over there trying to pray and you got this person, you know, who's talking kind of in the background and somebody has to kind of nudge them, hey, we're praying over how many of you ever been in that situation before? How many of you, be honest, you've, you've been that person before, all right? And they kind of got distracted and didn't even realize the prayer was going on. Inevitably, it's the person who who's, is usually, that person who does that is usually the same individual uh, that pipes up after a few minutes and, and is like asking, has anyone prayed over the food yet? You know, it's usually that one and the same individual, you know? And, and on a more serious note, in life, there are, there are really a lot of things that can distract us from praying. Um, that's why we're encouraged in this passage to continue in prayer, to persevere in prayer. 
And one of the things we can pray about is we can pray just like we saw King David pray. We can pray, God, change my words. That's what Paul is going to pray for this church at Colossians. I'm praying that your words would be seasoned with salt, that it would be saturated with grace, as we're going to see in verse number six. But the first thing we can do is persevere in prayer. It was A.J. Gordon, the theologian, who said this. He said, you can do more than pray after you've prayed. But you can never do more than pray until you've prayed. It all starts with prayer. So if we're going to improve the quality of our words, if we're going to develop in our conversation to align with God's grace, I want to encourage us, like the Apostle Paul encouraged the church at Corinth, to continually pray and ask God to improve the quality of your words to your family, your spouse, to your co-workers, make this thing a matter of prayer and continue and persevere in praying about your speech as the Apostle Paul is doing here. Now notice the end of verse number two. Notice what he says. He says, continue in prayer. Notice this, and watch in the same, underlying the next word, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. You see, our prayers and our words and our conversations should be filled with thanksgiving, with gratitude, and with praise. Which brings us to the next, next discipline that will help us to improve how we talk to those around us, and that is this. Not only do we need to begin by persevering in prayer about this thing, but secondly, I want to encourage you to persist with thanksgiving. Persist with thanksgiving. Maybe it's just me, but uh, the reality is there are seasons where it's easier to whine, it's easier to complain, it's easier to gripe and to grumble about a situation or something that's going on in my life. And what we're being reminded here in this passage is is we're being reminded to replace our whining, replace our complaining, replace our griping and our grumbling, and replace it with gratitude, praise, and thanksgiving. Notice what it says here. It says, continue with thanksgiving. Uh, Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 4 reiterates this truth when it says, let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place. And so the Apostle Paul is telling the church at uh, uh, Ephesus here, he says, hey, these are things that tend to come out of your mouth. He says, I want you to replace it. Replace it with what? He says, but instead, let there be, here's the word, thanksgiving. We're reminded that a lot of this negative talk that comes out of our mouth, when the Spirit of Christ is in control and God's grace is doing something in our soul, we're going to replace this filthiness, we're going to replace this filth foolish talk. We're going to replace the complaining and the griping and the gossiping, and we're going to replace it with a spirit of gratitude, with a spirit of praise, and with a spirit of thanksgiving. So rather than complaining about everything we don't have, and, and that's easy to do. It's easy to complain about our spouse and our marriage. It's easy to complain about our family and our children and our work and our finances. It's, it's easy to complain about all these things, but rather than complaining about everything we don't have, let's use our words and conversation to be thankful and filled with gratitude and praise for the things that we do have. Replace, replace the words of your mouth and replace those things with praise. 
It was really interesting to me uh, as I was kind of studying a little stuff this week, but, but according to studies done by the Royal Horticultural Society, try saying that five times fast, Royal Horticultural Society, all right? According to the Royal Horticultural Society, in 2009, they conducted studies with a bunch of professional botanists, and uh, botanists apparently, I learned this week, are people who specialize with working with plants. So I know a lot of you knew that, but uh, these botanists did a study, and according to their studies there at the Royal Horticultural Society, they found that it appears that positive words of gratitude and praise, get this, actually increases the growth and development of flowers and plants. Hmm, it's kind of interesting. In fact, uh, Mythbusters even did a whole kind of uh, episode on this as well, you know, to kind of uncover whether or not these studies were true. Now, whether or not it's true, if it's true that gratitude, praise, and thanksgiving helps plants develop successfully, how much more important do you think it is for us as human beings is gratitude in human development? There's an importance to it. So, So how do we improve our conversation? When we are truly being rooted in Christ and really experiencing everything that he speaks over us through his word and through his spirit, through the promises of God and the good news of the gospel, as we are living under the realization of who he says that we are, how does that begin to change us? Well, one of the things it's going to do, it's going it's to cause us to begin to persevere in prayer and asking God to continually do what he wants to do. It's going to cause us to persist in, in thanksgiving and rather than griping and grumbling and complaining with our words and with our lips, uh, it's going to cause us to develop a spirit of thanksgiving and praise. But I, know, I want you to notice now verse number three. It says in verse number three, with all, he says this, praying also for us. So he says, I, Paul, Paul's saying, I, I want you to pray. I want you to give thanks. But he says specifically, he says, would you, would you pray for us? Which leads us to the next discipline that will help us improve how we talk to others, and that is number three, pray for others. Pray for others. Now, we're going to come full circle in verse number three in just a moment. Specifically, the Apostle Paul is asking that they would pray that he'd be able to share the gospel, and that's what we see here in this text, and we're going to get to that in our next point, but the reality is this. A lot of our negative speech, I want you to think about this for yourself, and and I'm, I'm applying this to myself. A lot of my negative speech and a lot of our negative speech often comes from things that we say about others. How many of you have seen this to be true? A lot of the negativity, a lot of the griping, a lot of the complaining, a lot of the negative, unhealthy words that flow from our mouths tend to be about someone. A boss that did something to us, a coworker that did something, somebody who called us their friend, a pastor, a church member, and it's just a lot of the negativity that flows from our lips and a lot of the negative words that flows out of our mouth tends to be directed toward individuals. And so I want to encourage us, rather than criticizing others, rather than slandering others, rather than gossiping about others, can I encourage you to do what we're seeing modeled in this passage? And that is, can I encourage you to pray for others instead? Those people that you find you tend to criticize, those people that you you tend to find that you're bitter toward and you're upset with, and those people that you want to slander and gossip about, it just kind of is natural. Could could I encourage us to, to kind of shift gears and say, Lord, 
Give me the grace to pray for them. Pray for them. As I was thinking about this in my own life, there was, there was one time in particular um, that I, I really got, I, I was really wrestling through some bitterness toward another individual. And, and one time in particular that really just sticks out in my mind. For the most part of my adult life, I think the Lord's given me the grace to kind of overcome bitterness and, and just kind of being irritated with individuals and people. But there was this one case about six or seven years ago where somebody who called me a friend uh, did something and then began to say things that just were not true. And, and because of the circumstances and the situations that were going on, it really just started to affect me really negatively. And at first it was just in my, my thoughts and my head and my emotions, but as, as weeks turned to months, it just kept getting bigger and bigger in my head. And, and over time, a root of bitterness really started springing up in my own soul. In fact, it kind of got to a place where whenever I would see this individual like trigger something in me and I'd just get frustrated and upset and angry. I'd be talking to my wife, and somehow this person's in, their name came up. I'd find that I'd be quickly, you know, I'd say something negative about them or kind of gossip or just say something that wasn't healthy about that situation. And, and it was just really starting to overcome my life. The situation was such that I couldn't really defend myself because the information I would use to be able to defend myself had been given me in a counseling section, you know, in confidentiality. So I was kind of between a rock and a hard place. I couldn't even get, I couldn't even present the information that would, you know, vindicate me because I'd been given that information in confidentiality. And I was just like, I was just so frustrated by the situation. It's irritated that this person seemingly could just say what they want, do what they want. And it was like, man, I just, I didn't just didn't know what to do. Finally, I came to a point, I was spending some time in the Word, and it was like the Holy Spirit was just starting to impress deeply on my heart. It was as if he was saying, you know what, every time, every time this person comes to mind, and every time you want to talk negatively about this individual, it was like the Holy Spirit was saying, I just want you to pray for them. And I'll be honest, I didn't want to. At this season, there was enough bitterness and enough frustration and the psychological triggers of having to be a right, it just was, oh, I just, I didn't want to, but I said, you know what, if that's what the Lord wants, I'll do it, and at first it was a little, a little kind of, oh, it was a little difficult, and I don't even know if it was really, you know, authentic and, and true, but I just started doing it, and after a few weeks, anytime that person came to mind, I'd just pray for them, I'd say, Lord, I pray that your grace would just be all over them, I pray that you would prosper them, I pray that you'd bring them success and joy and peace, and I pray that the fruit of the Spirit would abound in their lives. And I pray, and I, with all the sincerity that I could, I just prayed that over them again and again. I prayed this for weeks. As the weeks went by, every time they came to mind, I'd pray, and every time I saw them, I'd pray. The situation was such that I, I really couldn't avoid this person. In fact, I had to see him on a regular basis because of the way the situation was, and so it wasn't like I could just avoid them. So they were constantly in life, and I was constantly seeing him, constantly being reminded. And so every time I just pray, every time I think about it, I just pray. I pray just God's blessing and God's grace and the fruit of the Spirit over his life. And finally, one day, after several weeks of praying, I, I begin to notice when I think about this individual, it, it wouldn't stir up any frustration. I'd see him walking around. It wouldn't stir up any bitterness or resentment. It didn't bring any emotion. didn't trigger any emotional pain. And, and I begin to realize that all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, through praying for them, now all of a sudden had freed me from the bitterness and the frustration 
that that person triggered in my life. I was, I was getting freedom from it. What was really ironic about the whole situation, like two or three weeks after I'd finally been liberated, I'm like, this is great. We can get along. I'm not triggered. You know, every time I see him, it, does, you know, it doesn't make me feel anything. About two or three weeks after I got to that point, this individual came to me and said, uh, you know, they came to me and said, Pastor, I just want you to know, uh, Lord's uh, moving us on. We're, we're moving to a different state. I'm like, just about the time where it all kind of comes together and God moves you to another state, you know? And I was reminded in that moment, you know what? Praying for people is a grace that God uses not just to change others, but to change us. 1 Timothy chapter number 2, verse 1, reemphasizes this when it says, First of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people. For all people. I want you to think about that for a moment. Here in 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, he's saying here, I want you to pray for everyone. I want you to pray for those that you agree with, and I want you to pray for those you disagree with. I want you to pray for those you get along with, and I want you to pray for those that you do not get along with. I want you to pray for those people that bring joy into your life, and I want you to pray for those people who bring frustration into your life. I want you to pray for those political figures that you agree with, and I want you to pray for those political figures that you disagree with. And the Apostle Paul is saying that prayers, and notice this, thanksgiving be made, notice this, for all people. You say, how do we improve the quality of our conversation? One of the best ways we can do this is by praying for others. Praying for people who hurt us. Praying for people who have mistreated us. Praying for people who ignore us. To pray for those people who have betrayed us. To pray God's grace and his peace and his blessing over their lives. I'll throw this on the screen, but I think this is a great way to put it in a nutshell. Talk to God about people rather than talking to other people about people. How many of you track with this? How many of you find it easier to talk to other people about people? (laughs) We get gossiping about this person, negatively talking about that person. And what we're reminded in 1 Timothy and what we're being reminded of here in Colossians 4 is God is encouraging us rather than talk to other people about people that we would talk to God about those folks. Pray for people. Pray for people. So how are we going to improve our conversation? For those of us who are rooted in Christ, is we experience God's voice and God's word through his scriptures and through the Bible over us and his spirit reinforcing it into our lives, that should change something about the way we communicate to others. And so we persevere in prayer, asking God to change our words and our conversations, persisting in thanksgiving, asking God to replace that which is complaining and that which is whining and replace it with a spirit of thanksgiving and gratitude and praise and when people are maybe not treating us right and people are making our lives difficult and bitterness and resentment are stirring up that we would rather than gossip about them and slander them that we would lift them up in a spirit of prayer but I want to keep going notice next I want you to see in verse number five 
Bible says in verse 5, the Apostle Paul says, I want you to walk in wisdom toward them that are without. He's basically saying those who are unbelievers, I want you to be very wise in your testimony, in your reputation with them. Notice verse 6. He says specifically, he says, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. The Apostle Paul is saying here, listen, you need to be wise when you're interfacing and engaging those who are unbelievers, those who are not Christians. He says specifically, you need to be careful about the way you talk when you're around them. When you talk around them, may everything that flows from your lips be that of grace. May that which flows from your lips be that which edifies and and that which builds up. Which leads us to our next thought when it comes to a discipline that will help us to improve how we talk to others, and that is this. Number four, present your words with grace and kindness. Present your words with grace and kindness. Ephesians chapter number four, verse 29 says this. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. What God is saying here is when the Spirit of God is, is really being enjoyed, when you're, when you're basking in your relationship with God and you're allowing His words of affirmation and His words of grace to overflow in your ears and in your heart and your mind, and, and this is not just the words that you talk about, but you, you enjoy His promises and you enjoy the grace of His word as it just breathes hope into your life and breathes peace into your life, and you are living and rooted in Christ in those ways. He says it's going to make a difference in the way you talk, and one of the ways it's going to manifest itself is the words that flow out of that type of individual are going to be words of grace and words of kindness. He says it's not going to be corrupt communication, but rather it's going to be words that edify. That word edify means to build up. It's going to be a positive language that causes people to be built up around you. This is one of the marks of a person who's experiencing the grace of God in their life. And literally, this individual becomes a conduit of God's grace to other people. Man, I'm so thankful for people in our church and and people in my life who are literally conduits of God's grace to me through their words. Many of you are just an incredible example of this, and God regularly uses you to edify me and to build me up, and I'm so thankful that so many of you will just allow your words to be conduits of God's grace to to those around you, and it's such an encouragement. It's such a blessing, and it's awesome when you have families that are allowing God's grace to flow through them, and they're using their words to edify one another. And in marriages where the husband and the wife are are using their words to build one another up. And in churches where church members are coming together and not using their words to tear down or to discourage or to complain or to whine. But they're using their words as a conduit of God's grace to build people up around them. That their words here are with grace seasoned with salt. Why? This is, how, this is how believers, we walk in wisdom using our words. Mother Teresa said this about words. She said, kind words are short and easy to say, but their echoes are truly endless. When we say something kind, when we, we say something full of grace, 
those words live on much longer than you or I probably even realize. There are probably many of you in this room, and your mind can go back 10 years or even more to that time where there was that person who just spoke grace over you. And that little phrase and those words still verberate in your heart and mind because it was so edifying. And most of us have illustrations of stories we could tell of people who just spoke grace and spoke love and affirmation over our lives. And that's what we see. Oh, that we would present our words with grace and with kindness. Um, I, don't, I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe this is just me. But uh, how many of you have ever been around somebody and it's just like everything they say is negative? Everything they say is rude. And everything they say is just griping and complaining. And you're just like, man, you're thinking to yourself. And, and maybe this is just me, but sometimes I'm like, man, rather, rather than using, you know, chapstick on their lips, they need to use like a, like a glue stick or something, you know? Just be quiet. <laughs> I think we've all been there, known somebody like that. Their, their words didn't build up. Their words weren't of grace. And that we would pray and say, God, May I experience your words so profoundly over me that those words of grace flow out of me. One of the reasons we as Christians struggle to express grace through our words is because we are not living under the grace of his words. We're not enjoying the, his great and precious promises. We're not reminding ourselves of what he speaks and his identity over us and the promises over us. And because we are not living under it, it doesn't flow out of us. Present your words with grace and kindness. So how do we improve our conversation? We see all oh, that we persevere in prayer. Ask God, God, change my words. Persist in thanksgiving. Rather than complaining and griping, replace that with thanksgiving and praise and gratitude. When there's somebody who's being frustrating and irritating in your life and maybe even downright hateful, rather than gossiping and slandering them, replace that with praying for them, lifting them up to the throne of grace. Four, present your words with grace and kindness. Because Christ has been kind to me, I can be gracious and kind to those around me. Now notice the next verse. It says, let your speech, we talked about this, be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Notice this, that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. We could say to the Apostle Paul, Paul, why is it that you want our reputation to be good? Why is it that you want to, our, why do you want us to walk in wisdom toward those with our, with, which are without? Why is it that you want our, our speech to be with grace? Well, in chapter number six, he says that ye may know how you ought to answer every man. In fact, if you go back to verse number three, it plays into this as well. When he says, hey, I want you to pray for me. What are we praying? What, what are we supposed to be praying for? That God would open to us a door of utterance to speak the mysteries of Christ he says, for which I am also in bonds, that I might make it manifest as I ought to speak. And so ultimately, the reason that the Spirit of God wants our language to be wise and gracious and kind, ultimately it's so that we can have the type of testimony, the type of reputation that can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in a way that is effective and successful. 
You show me a person who's at their workplace and they're always complaining about work and when they're at home, they're always just kind of, you know, gossiping about this person. They're always, with their words, frustrated about all these things and everywhere this person goes, there's negativity and frustration and slander and complaining and then that same person stands up and, hey, let me tell you about Jesus and how he can change your life. It's just a disconnect. And so Paul is saying here, the, ma- the main reason Man, that we should, we should grow in this grace also with what flows from our mouth is so that we can be the type of person who, when we proclaim the gospel, it's received. People are like, yeah, I knew there was something different because of the way you talk. And now we get to use our words to adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now our conversation honors our Lord and Savior. And so when we speak of him, when we proclaim his salvation, when we talk about the glories of heaven, our reputation and our testimony is such that adorns that message. It honors that reality. Which leads us here to our last thought, and that is simply this. I want to encourage you to proclaim the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. How do we improve what we talk about? Can I just say, there's, there's no better thing to talk about than the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether you're at work, whether you're with your children, whether you're with people at church, there's no more lofty conversation you can have than proclaiming the gospel. Proclaiming the reality that God came to this earth as a man. He lived a perfect, spotless, sinless life. Not so he could bring fame to himself. So that he could go to a cross. Take the punishment of our sins upon himself. Die three days later. Raise from the dead. Offering us salvation through that process. That's the gospel. The good news of the gospel. And one of the reasons the Apostle Paul wants to encourage this church at Colossae and our, uh, this church through this is so that we would have the reputation with our words that would adorn that incredible message of Christ. And that we would use the reputation that we have with building up with our words and we would leverage that to preach and proclaim the good news of the gospel. And I'm not just talking about the ramifications of the gospel for those that are unsaved but also that we would be able to proclaim the gospel to those and the ramifications for those who are believers so that we can go to others in our connection group Bible studies and others in our church and other believers at our workplace and that because of our reputation and testimony with our words that we could begin to preach over them the identity that God has placed upon them. And when someone is feeling lonely and somebody is feeling like, you know what, I don't know who I am, that we could go to the word of God and say, in Christ, this is your identity. In Christ, this is who you are and when your past tells you you're something and when your emotions telling you you're something and when your friends are telling you you're this or that you can go to the word of God and you can preach the good news of the gospel saying no this is who Christ declares you to be under the blood of Jesus this is the real you this is your true identity and really proclaim the ramifications of the gospel over your children and over co-workers and over church members and you can Preach that gospel, the identity of who they are in Christ, and the wonderful promises that are available to them in Jesus. And just speak that, which will build up and edify. That's, that's the point of all of this. That's why we want to walk in wisdom, so that when we speak that gospel, when we proclaim that good news, people are like, they're listening. They're listening. 
proclaim the gospel. As some of you may know, um, my grandparents uh, actually left Germany in, in the mid-1900s. Of course, everything that was going on in Nazi Germany at the time. And, uh, in fact, my father's first language was German. Uh, he did not speak English until he had moved uh, here. He started, uh, we got here, went to school, and that is where he learned uh, English for the very first time. And, and one of the stories I was told from that time period in history was about a young Jewish lady by the name of Sarah Bacharach, who was actually living in Germany during this season when the Nazi regime was really rising to power. She and her husband started to see the writing on the wall and and begin to realize that a, a bad situation for Jews there in Germany was becoming worse and worse by the day. And, and they knew deep in their heart that they would have to do something to, to get out of the country pretty quickly with their two children um, to really escape the, the Nazi regime. Uh, one day they received a glimmer of hope. Uh, Sarah had actually gotten word that uh, there were a few visas that were being given to Jews uh, from a little office in Berlin. Since her husband had to work, she, she found someone to watch her kids, and, and with a spirit of strong resolve, Sarah boarded a train the next morning for the long ride into Berlin in the heat of the summer to hopefully get the visas she desperately needed for her family. Because honestly, without those visas, she, she really didn't know what they would do. When she arrived in Berlin, she, she took a cab to the address that she had been given where the visas were said to be available, and once inside the building, she, she found the office, but when she opened the door to the office, she saw dozens and dozens of people in a hot, cramped room, all waiting for the exact same thing she was. In the back of the room was one lone German government official sitting at a desk, seemingly oblivious to, to all the people around him. As she sat, she waited literally hours and hours as, as those people in that room literally just suffered through the heat in mostly just silence. All the while, Sarah held on to the hope that she'd leave that office with those few pieces of paper that would mean a new life for, for her and for her family. But, but without those visas, however, she was afraid to even think about what would happen to them. Suddenly, everyone was snapped out of their heat-induced melancholy by the, the shrill voice of that government official who said, No visas today. You'll have to come back tomorrow. The thought of going through the same ordeal the next day weighed heavily on everybody's minds, but considering the lack of options that Jews had in that time frame, they, they all decided to come back in the morning. For Sarah and perhaps several others there that day, this meant the unexpected challenge of trying to find lodging that night on such a short notice. But, but with so much at stake, Sarah was determined to do whatever it took to, to stay there for the night and be there the next morning. When she woke up with the rising of the sun, it, it brought a double-edged kind of emotions of both hope and also a lot of fear. Sarah once again walked into that crowded, stifling office. She, she tried to stay hopeful, desperately not knowing how many visas would be available or if there would even be enough for everyone. And once again, just like the previous day, for hours those folks sat in that heat-infested room just waiting for something. The government official remained silent as he did paperwork, but more or less just ignoring the people sitting there. Late in the afternoon, the silence was broken by a phone call, and and then in a rather loud voice, he, he listened to it, he slammed down the phone, and, 
and made this statement. His words literally brought instant heartbreak to the people that were there. He said, there are going to be no more visas given out to Jews. Everyone just needs to go home. After the shock of his words, people responded by, by letting out their pent-up emotions, complain after complaint. You could just imagine what's running through these people's heads that are in that office. Their voice was mixed with raw anger and frustration. Others mixed with utter despair. Some begin to even yell at this man just out of pure desperation. For a few moments, Sarah just sat there in the back of the room as tears begin to, to well up in her eyes. She she felt the utter hopelessness of the entire situation, and, and quite honestly, fear began to grip her soul about what would become of her little family. Tired, extremely hot, and overwhelmed, she'd have to make the long trip home with absolutely nothing to show for the last two days. As she was leaving, she walked over to where the man was sitting. She, she leaned over and said, thank you for, for all your time. I hope you have a good day. That's all she said. She then slowly turned from him, walked out the door, down the hall. She was almost at the stairway when she heard a loud clacking of shoes running toward her. She, she turned and saw that it was that same government official, and he was holding a few pieces of paper in his hand, and here quick, he said, to take these and, and be, be out of here. As she took the piece of paper and started running away. She realized that it was the visas that her family would need to be able to escape Germany. She, her husband, and her two small children were able to escape the Nazi regime and everything that was going to come with it, essentially because of a few simple, kind words. Here's what I want us to remember today. Our words can have a huge impact on our lives and the lives of those around us. Uh, Proverbs chapter number 18, verse 21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So, so how do we improve our concert, conversation? Persevere in prayer. Persist in thanksgiving. Pray for others. Present your words with grace and kindness. And proclaim the gospel. Let me tie this all up and we'll be done. We had one takeaway today. It's simply this. Changing your words changes your world. Changing your words changes your world. Shall we pray? Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.